Well, good morning, everybody. It is so, so good to see all of your faces here today. Um, be, before we get into the message, I just want to take a moment to, uh, for, for us as a, a body to, to, to go to Jesus to uh, just ask for, 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 for him to, to be glorified in the midst of so much pain that's taking place in our world today. You know, I, I think back a couple of weeks to whenever Haiti, uh, you know, w- w- was rocked by an earthquake and as they continued to try and, 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 and figure out how to even begin to rebuild. Um, think about everything that's happening in Afghanistan right now. Um, knowing that this, the, the, the next two days are very, very contentious uh, in, in, in that part of the world. And then here within the next couple of hours, um, our Gulf Coast is likely to get decimated by a massive, massive storm. Um, 16 years, you know, almost to the day that Hurricane Katrina hit the same part of the, uh, of the country. And so there's just a lot, there, there, there's a lot going on, and I think that I would be remiss if we didn't take this opportunity as a church to um, ask for, 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 for God, I mean, in, in the midst of pain, in the midst of tragedy, and everything else, for God to be glorified um, at, at this time. So if you would, please take just a few, few, few moments praying, and then I'll, I'll close this. Jesus, in the darkness, may your light shine bright. Where it looks like there is no hope, will you show that hope is still present? Will you be glorified in the midst of pain, suffering, and tragedy? Father, I pray for for these these situations. I pray for the people of Haiti. I, I, I pray that they... That, that, that your church, that, that your body, that, that God, that, that, that we will be able to help any way that, that, that we can. I pray for the situation in Afghanistan, and God, I pray that there are no more senseless attacks. God, I pray for peace. I pray for peacemakers. I pray for wisdom. Father, I pray for our Gulf Coast. And just thinking about, you know, the, the thoughts that might be running through their minds, the people who are, who are there who would love to leave but don't have a way to leave, those who, who feel for one reason or another they need to stay put to ride out the situation. God, will you please keep people safe? I know that this storm is still like 70 miles offshore, if, if God, if, 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 if I know you can calm storms, will you please calm a storm? Jesus, we trust you in good and in bad, whenever we understand and when we don't, we know that you are good regardless of whether we can fully see it or not. And we thank you for that hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So today we are in part two of our series entitled Back at It. And a couple of weeks ago during our Faith Sunday, 
um, I, I, I asked you all a question, and, and, and the question was this. Whenever your kids, your, your family, I mean, it, it could be a niece, a nephew, a grandchild, somebody that you have that kind of parental influence over, whenever, whenever they think about your relationship with Jesus, what do they think of? What do they think of? I mean, do they know that a relationship with Jesus exists? Do they see that you are a follower of Jesus in the way that you live your life? Do they think that, that, that your relationship with, with Jesus consists of a couple of Sundays a month or a year that you decide to show up to church? I mean, whenever your family, whenever those that you have influence over, whenever they think of your relationship with Jesus, what do they think of? But today, I want to take that a step further. I want you to think about the people outside of your house, outside of that parental realm of influence that you hold, and I want you to think about the people that you work with, the people that you eat lunch with, the, 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 your, your neighbors whom you go on walks with, whenever these people who are not in your home, whenever they think about your relationship with Jesus, what do they think of? Do they know that a relationship exists? Do they see it in the fruit of your life? And as you think about these questions, if you don't like the answer to those questions, I have some good news. Today is a day that you can get back at it. Today is a day that you can get back at it. And, 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 and that's really kind of what comes to my mind every time that, that we come to this time of the year. You know, I, I, I know that school starts and it's like all, all of our schedules become much, much more full and, and routines begin to, to take shape and and, and all that I hope that we can understand is that in the midst of all of this, that Jesus must remain our top priority. As we settle in, as, as we try to get into these new rhythms, may we not lose sight of this. I believe that it's especially true this fall as we move into this time of year, after the past 18 months that we've all experienced and even, you know, here presently, uh, as we think about getting back at it, there are some who, who are just ready to be able to run back into society and make life what it was back in 2019. And there are others who are absolutely terrified to do that. But as they look around, and, and, and as we look around, we, we, we begin to see that, man, this virus isn't just going to disappear overnight. And so we have to try and figure out some way to live in a world that also has this virus around. And, and I want to try and encourage us today that as the pace of life seems to be picking back up for one reason or another, now is the time to either restart, start, or continue making sure that Jesus is the top priority in your life and in your family. And as we kicked off this series last week, we, we looked at, at the story of, of, of Peter, and, and whenever Peter was interacting with Jesus in the events surrounding the crucifixion, just hours before Jesus was betrayed, he gathered all of his disciples around a table in the upper room, and he looked at them and he said this, all of you, this very evening will fall away on account of me. And you know Peter, I mean, Peter can't keep his mouth shut in these situations, right? And so he opens his mouth and he says, oh, no, 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 Jesus, even if everybody else falls away, I never will. Even if I have to die for you, Jesus, I will never deny you. And Jesus looks at him and says, oh, Peter, 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 before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. 
And then as the hours went on, that's exactly what happened. And it all ended with Peter standing around this charcoal fire, calling down curses on a little girl for saying that he had been with Jesus. And so as the days, and honestly, probably like a week and a half, maybe two weeks went by, Peter, he finds himself in this place of just questioning and and wondering, like, like wondering, have I really blown it this time? Have I really gone too far this time? Wondering if, if all the things that Jesus said Peter was going to accomplish were still on the table or if they were all gone. And don't miss this. In this place that Peter found himself, in this place of, of desperation and loneliness and, 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 and depression and all those things, Peter went back to the life that he had left in order to follow Jesus. But as Peter was doing these things, Jesus just simply kept showing up. And he kept pointing Peter back to uh, the, the, the initial time that Jesus had called him to be his disciples, in a, in, in, in a sense to just say, Peter, I know you've messed up, but come on, let's get back at it. And today we're going to look at some words from the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the church in Philippi. And I believe that Paul's words that we're going to see today, they, they, they provide like a, a blueprint and a sense of, of what it looks like to get back at it in our faith and then to continue to move forward. But before we get there, I want us to just take a few minutes and I want us to just talk about the Apostle Paul and who this man was because understanding who the Apostle Paul was and all that he had accomplished is absolutely crucial to understanding the magnitude of the text that we're going to look at today. And so the Apostle Paul, first off, It is impossible to overstate Paul's impact in the early church and the direction of of, of Christianity in the first century. Paul, he was born around the year zero. How cool would that be? You'd never have to do math to try and figure out how old you are. He was born around the year zero, making him just a little bit younger than Jesus. He came from a very, very religious family that raised him deeply orthodox, He sat under and was a prized pupil of of one of the greatest rabbis of that day, and a lot of scholars would say one of the greatest rabbis of any day, a man by the name of Gamaliel. And and Paul, I mean, he was so smart. He, he, He knew the law, and he followed the law to the letter. Out of the 27 books that we have in the New Testament, 13 of those books and letters are credited to Paul being the author. And in these letters, in these books, we we find cornerstones of of, of the Christian doctrine, of the Christian faith. Paul, he he constantly taught about the resurrection. He constantly taught about the freedom that we have in Christ. He, he, he He constantly talked about how salvation is by grace through faith alone. Not something that you've accomplished on your own so that no one can boast, but it's by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Jesus is the only one who could give it to us. He gave us the qualifications of good Christian leaders in the church. He taught about how to respond to government whenever things may not be going well. He taught us the importance of, of, of why we, we work hard and the importance of hard work. He, he taught about sexuality. He talked about spiritual warfare He gave us confidence that we can trust in the sufficiency of the resurrection and the work that it accomplished. And so, so much more. It is not a stretch at all to say that the Apostle Paul next to Jesus is the greatest founder of the Christian faith. But before Paul was Paul, track with me here, before Paul was Paul, 
Paul was Saul. And before Paul was Paul, Saul was the chief persecutor of the Christians in the early church. To put it mildly, Saul was not a fan of the Jesus movement following the resurrection. He was a Pharisee. And like I said, he took his faith very, very seriously. He was deeply religious. He was deeply legalistic, and he was a Jewish leader. So as more and more people began to put their faith in Jesus after the resurrection, Saul and many others like him became threatened to the point that, that they believed that the only appropriate thing to do, grasp it, the only appropriate thing that they could do was to stamp out this abomination of the Jewish faith. And among this group of religious zealots, Saul was known as the chief persecutor to the earliest Christians. We see this play out in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, where Saul, he, he took responsibility for the stoning of Stephen, who was the very, very first Christian martyr. That as Stephen was there and, and, and he was preaching the resurrection, he was preaching the hope, he was preaching the light of Jesus, Saul's the one who said, go ahead and kill him. And let his blood be on my hands. And Saul, he would continue even after this to invade homes and to invade synagogues, imprisoning and beating both men and women, effectively just tearing families apart. Until one day, around the year 36, whenever Saul would have been 36 years old, Saul was on his way to Damascus to arrest and persecute more Christians. And while he was on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus that literally changed everything for him. And by extension, literally changed everything for us. Soon, Saul would become Paul, and he would end up leading at least four different missionary journeys. And everywhere he went, he would plant churches. He would preach the message of the resurrection of Jesus. He would establish leaders. He would teach doctrine, and then he would just move on to the next area. And it didn't take long for, for Paul to go from being the persecutor to being the persecuted. And over the remaining years of, 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 of Paul's life, around 31 more years, he would suffer greatly. He would be beaten by his own countrymen because they were jealous of him. And he would be beaten by the Gentiles because they felt like he was threatening their money. So Paul, he gives us kind of this list in 2 Corinthians that, among other things, he was imprisoned five times, he was beaten with rods three times, he was stoned once and shipwrecked at least three different times. But, but Paul wrote this list in 2 Corinthians around the year 55 while he was still in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. And so he doesn't mention anything about all the, the, the hardships that he had following his third missionary journey. And that list would include being attacked in Jerusalem, being strung up and flogged, and then being shipwrecked a fourth time. And then around the year 67, Paul was thrown into a dungeon in Rome, where shortly thereafter he was beheaded by Nero. Paul, he is famous for being a missionary to the Gentiles often credited with making sure through the power of the Holy Spirit that the Jesus movement would become an international body, that the church would become an international body and not just simply a new branch of Judaism. And so here we find in Philippians chapter 3 that the Philippians, they're, they're, they're being pressured and by, by, by this group known as the Judaizers. And the Judaizers, they were a very, very legalistic group who were making the Philippians, these newish Christians, question if they had to be 
perfect in order to be a follower of Jesus. They were making these, these newish Christians wonder if the sufficiency of, of, of the resurrection, if the sufficiency of God's grace was really enough or if they also had to be perfect as was noted in the, in, in the Levitical law in the Old Testament. And so Paul, here in Philippians, he, he, he comes out you know, just firing and he says, no matter, no matter how good these Judaizers think they are, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am from the tribe of Benjamin. I am a religious zealot. No matter how good they think they are, I am here to tell you I am better. And that if there's anyone who should ever put confidence in their flesh and what they've accomplished on their own, that it's not them. (laughs) But Paul says it would be me. But then listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. I now consider them lost for the sake of of Christ. And what is more is that I consider everything a loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. All these things that, you know, they're proud of, you know, well, I have them too and probably to a greater degree, but I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then to make sure that, that, that his audience doesn't miss what it is that he's trying to communicate. He doesn't want them to hear this and all of a sudden just be in, in, impressed with all the good things that Paul has done. They, he doesn't want them to be impressed by all of his accomplishments. And he doesn't want them to mistakenly believe that they also have to have accomplishments like Paul has had in order to be right with God. And so he continues in verse 12 saying this, that not that I have already attained this, It's not that I have already obtained this, this this idea of fully knowing Christ and fully knowing the power of the resurrection. It's not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Man, that's a beautiful sentence. I continue to to take hold of that, the good works that Christ Jesus has has prepared in advance for him. I continue to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And we have two ideas here that really shaped how Paul viewed himself and how Paul viewed his responsibility as a leader in the church. First off, in spite of all of his accolades, in spite of the transformation that he has experienced, he acknowledges that he has not yet arrived, but instead he continues to press on, press on, daily striving to honor the call of Jesus in his life. And the second thing, Paul, he knows who he was in the past, and he's not really proud of who he was in the past, and he is undeniably humbled that Jesus would go and take hold of him. He's humbled that he has been called for a specific purpose. He's humbled that God has prepared good works in advance for him to do all for the glory of Christ. He's humbled by the links that God would go to, that Jesus would go through to to call him, to follow him there on the road to Damascus. None of that was lost on the Apostle Paul. And so in verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but I want you to hear this. 
But one thing I do, I want you to say that with me. One thing I do. Okay, everybody wake up just a tiny bit. One thing, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on, there's that language again, to, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I hope that this is clear, just as Paul would have hoped that this is clear. Paul is not attempting to earn God's favor, and he's not encouraging anybody else to attempt to earn God's favor. Paul was completely incapable of earning God's favor on his own. The Philippians were completely incapable of earning God's favor on their own. We are completely incapable of earning God's favor on our own. While earning was not Paul's goal, effort was Paul's goal. Working out the salvation that he has already been given is Paul's goal. I want you to hear this today. Being a Jesus follower is not intended to be a passive part of your life. I want to say that again. I mean, if you guys are ever going to be a church that says amen or agrees with anything, this could be a good time to practice right here. Being a Jesus follower is never intended to be a passive part of our lives. It is never intended to be an add-on to our lives. It is, never, it, it, is, it is intended to be our life, the source from which everything else in us flows from. And again, Paul, he knows that he isn't perfect, but that does not slow down his pursuit of perfection. He knows that he isn't per perfect, but it doesn't slow down his passion to grow and to become more like Jesus. It doesn't slow down his desire for a big church word here. It doesn't slow down his desire for sanctification. Instead, the one thing that he does is forgetting what is behind, all that he has accomplished and all the times that he has failed. He's not coasting. He's not loafing. Instead, he's straining. He's pressing on. He's focused on the goal. He's focused on living the life that Jesus desires for him to live and teaching others to do the same. Several years ago, I, I preached a sermon called Looking Back to Look Forward. And the sermon was all about how we see through the story of the Israelites that, that, that there is a time to look back. You go through the Old Testament and you see whenever, whenever God would provide in some way, they would cross a river, they would be delivered in some way, God would often tell them, you need to build an altar, you need to build a memorial here so that you can come back and so that future generations can come back and see that I am faithful. And so it's not that there is never a time to look back. That, 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 that there's never a time, that, that, that there are times to look back, but we cannot get stuck looking back. Because whenever we get stuck looking back, a couple of dangerous things can happen. Number one, if in our past, we think that we've had all kinds of success as the world, you know, would measure success, then we can be tempted to think that we've arrived we can become fixated on our past success and become complacent about the future. We can turn into Uncle Rico. You guys know that reference? The movie Napoleon Dynamite, you have Uncle Rico in there. I hope you guys have seen Napoleon Dynamite. Come on now. You guys need to watch Napoleon Dynamite. Go home, find it somewhere. Um, 
But you have Uncle Rico. This is really weird since you guys haven't seen the movie. But um, Uncle Rico, he, he, he's just this, this 40-year-old man, 35, 40-year-old man who continues to just live the glory days of his high school football career. Instead of moving on in life, he goes out in the middle of a field with the beautiful mountains in the background, and he sets up a video camera and just continues to throw footballs, talking about how he's throwing them over that there mountain, and you know, hoping to be able to send his tape off to all the pro football scouts who will be so impressed by Uncle Rico. Did I explain that okay? No Pony and Dynamite fans. Is that all right? But we can easily become Uncle Rico in our faith to where we just keep looking back on those glory days. We can get stuck in the past. But because no matter how good the days in the past were, listen, we cannot let them distract from the work that is found in the days to come. And the second reason this is so important is because getting stuck in the past can cause us to get stuck in our past mistakes. We can open the door very easily by continuing to look back. We can open the door for the enemy to be able to bring accusations upon us that Jesus has already forgiven. Paul, he would oftentimes use the imagery of a runner, and here he's using that, a similar type of imagery here. Have you ever tried to run forward while looking behind you? It doesn't work real well, does it? I played a lot of baseball growing up, and I mean, one of the number one things I remember my coach yelling at me whenever I'm running the bases is don't look behind you. Focus on your third base coach, but don't look behind you. Why? Because it slows you down. You end up stumbling and following. You end up looking like a buffoon on your face. The exact same reason that it's not safe to drive down the interstate while only staring in your rearview mirror. You will head for a crash if we just continue to look behind. So whether your past is full of victories or defeats, getting caught up in it can keep us from what's ahead. So yes, look back and see that God is faithful. But then look ahead and see that he's not done yet. And so Paul says, he says, the one thing I do, the one thing I do is I forget what is behind and I strain for what is ahead. He continues in verse 15. He says, all of us, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. All of us who are mature should not focus on what's behind, but we should focus on what is ahead. And if, at, and, and if on some point you think differently, he does the preacher thing here. He says, you should pray about it. If you think differently, you should pray about it, and, 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 and God will make it clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So what is it that we've already a, a, a attained? Church, we've already attained acceptance by God. We've already attained being redeemed by God. We've already attained becoming the righteousness of God. So let's live up to it. May we live our lives in a way that, 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 that we prove what we already have. May we live out our lives to, so, so that the world around us can, can see the proof of the Spirit of God residing within us. May we live our lives with the Holy Spirit and, and, and the fruit of the Spirit just flowing out of us. May we be people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. 
May we live our lives daily striving, like really, really striving to become more like Jesus. Not to earn anything, but to work out the salvation that we've already received. And as a result of this, may, may the way that we view others change. May we grow less smug and less critical. May we recognize our own need for grace even more. May we use our words differently. May we become less self-righteous and, and more thankful for grace. May we become more willing to recognize the grace that is needed and that is in others as well. May we stay focused on the central truth of our faith that Jesus has made a way for us when there was no way. Through his life, his perfect life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that he has created in advance for us good works to do. That it is his desire for all people, all people, to come to repentance and to come to faith in him. Paul lived his life in awe that Jesus took hold of him. Whenever he didn't deserve it, it's the reason Paul considers himself the least of these, but he lived his life in awe that Jesus took hold of him. And church, may we do the exact same thing. That just as we have received Jesus desperate and in faith, so today may we walk with him. Today, may we continue to look to him. Today, may we continue to treasure his grace and rely on his power. May we strive not to go backwards, not to become fixated with our past, whether that's good or bad, to not become complacent, to not give a foothold to the enemy. But if we do, if we have, may we recognize that today is an opportunity to get back at it. I think about this illustration quite often. This is not an advertisement for Target. It's a bullseye. I believe that every single one of you, I believe every single person in Edwardsville, in Glencarbon, in Maryville, in Collinsville, in Granite City, in Bethalto, in Morrow, in Alton, and wherever you want to go, every single person in Afghanistan, every single person in Haiti, every single person on the Gulf Coast, every single person in this entire world has been created in the image of God, whether they recognize it or not, I still believe that's who they are. That's this. And so often we may find ourselves out here, over here, just barely off of who it is that God created us to be or miles away or continents away from who it is that God desires for us to be, who he created us to be. But look at this picture. The bullseye doesn't move. It doesn't change. And so today... 
wherever it is that you find yourself on this scale. Let's get back. Let's get back to who it is that God created us to be. Will you pray with me today? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for hope. I thank you for life. I thank you for all that it is that you've done on our behalf. And and Jesus, I do pray that you will help us to... um, remember, to recognize, to see who it is that you have called us to be, who you've created us to be. And it is so, so easy, so easy to get off that track. But Jesus, because of all that you've accomplished, man, you've provided a way for us to always get back. And so we thank you for that today, Jesus. And we love you so much, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.